have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis. Where are we going to go this morning? We're actually going to start in um, Revelation. Turn to your neighbor and say, Revelation. Revelation. C.S. Lewis said, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. How many of us have things in our life and our past that we'd like to change? We'd like to put a magic eraser and just kind of erase a few things and few mistakes. It's so awesome that God is a God that gives us second chances, that God gives us, you know, multiple, right, multiple chances over and over, that he is a God of grace, that he's a God of mercy. And so this morning as we get into the theme, in the beginning, the question is, where is God asking you to begin again? Because I know that a lot of us, we put a lot of effort into many different things, right? And like Joel's talking about where we spend our money, that, that is the greatest indicator of what we like. If we put into our cars, we love cars. If we put into the Starbucks, we love coffee. Amen. If we put it into, you know, whatever and wherever you spend your money, that's the indicator of what's important to you. That is the absolute, it shows the absolute thing. What is in your heart is where you spend your money. We put effort into what we love. The question is, where do you love God? Where do you show God that you love him? Now, if you're married and if you have friends, you would not be in a marriage relationship if the partner, your friend, spouse, never said anything to you, never did anything for you, correct? You expect some return and some action and some love and some back and forth. But yet how many of us have that with God? God every single day sends out a love note to you. Every single morning, God sends out his love note to you. How do you respond back? How do you respond back to the love notes that he sends to you every single morning? Soon as you wake up, God's already got that love, that love letter on its way to you. How do you respond back to him? Typically, we wake up in the morning, and sometimes when we wake up in the morning, a lot of us, for me, it's make coffee. I make coffee. I've got my routine where I make coffee. Then I sit back down, hang out with my dog for a little bit. Jacks, who's so awesome. But all of us have that certain routine in the morning, right? At some point in the morning, do you recognize the God and creator and giver of life? And as we go to the beginning, the big question is, where is God asking you to begin again? Where is he asking you to begin? Revelation 21, 6 says, he says, it is finished. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. God is the God of the beginning. God is the God of your beginning. God is the God of your beginning. Your beginning. You were born and you're also born again. God is the beginning of both. And God is your end. One day your eyes will close and it will absolutely be over. One day it will absolutely, everything that you see will come to an end. And we don't, get a, we don't get to choose, right? There are certain people who things happen in life, accidents, right? And so some of those people, our loved ones, leave us sooner rather than later. But at the end of the day, God knows your ending. God is your ending. The question is, is he the God of your in-between? If he was the God of your beginning, put all of your, the wonderful things together that you like inside yourself, right? Everything that you have, everything that is in you, he is your absolute beginning. And if God is the God of the ending and he knows when the last day, when the lights get turned off, when you pass from this life, 
and you pass to the next, the big question is, is he the God of your in-between? Because the story, if you follow the Bible through the Old Testament, the Jewish people struggled with this. There were times where they loved God. God is amazing. They sing, they dance, they have festivals. The Jewish people know how to throw parties. They are party people. But at the same time, the Jewish people often got into other gods that were around them with their friends, with their neighbors. Even at some points, they would take their own kids and sacrifice their own little babies to an idol. They would get off their minds off the one true God. And they would think, man, th those people got cool gods. Look, they sacrificed their babies. And they would constantly go back and forth and back and forth, symbolizing the Old Testament like many of us today in our relationships with God. One day we're hot, next day we're cold. One day we're lukewarm, God spits us out of his mouth, and we try again, right? The Jewish people and us this morning are very similar. Many Christians still back and forth, wishy-washy, like in a washing machine, just getting spun around, spun around, spun around, spun around, spun around. God is the God of your beginning. He is the God of your ending. But the question is, is he the God of your in-between? Do you let the great world out there, the beautiful creation that he created, do you let it affect you every single day? There's not one person on this planet that should affect your relationship with God. Not one person. There's not one person who should get you so upset and so angry and so mad and so frustrated that it affects your relationship and your mood with Jesus. We've been studying in the beginning, we talked about the beginning, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? And to think about that, it's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around that God created something out of nothing. God created what we see. And how many of us, we love to go out into the night sky and we love to see the stars. God created the stars. How many of us love staring at the moon once in a while? The sun, how many of us love sitting at the sun? My family, we love the beach. We normally go every week. We love the beach, right? God created that. That's not something I created. God created it. He created it for me. He created it for us. The creation that he spoke out of nothing really, really, really blows my mind. But to illustrate this, Acts 4.13 says, when they saw the boldness of and unfettered eloquence of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned, untrained, in the schools, common men with no educational advantages, they marveled because they recognized that they had just been with Jesus. God created the world out of nothing, and we love what we see. The gospel message, when he started this gospel message, when the gospel message exploded with the disciples, did he pick the well-educated? Did he pick the Bible scholars of the time? Did he pick the men who knew everything? There was men who spent their whole entire life being educated on the law. Did he pick them? Who did Jesus pick? Now, now listen, who did Jesus pick to share the gospel with the whole entire world? He picked fishermen. But yet when they got started preaching, look what the Pharisees said. They saw the boldness, unfettered eloquence. Peter and John, these were fishermen. Turn to your neighbor and say, they just were fishermen. That's it. 
And they perceived that they were unlearned, untrained in the schools, common men, no educational advantage. They marveled and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, most of us in this room, we haven't spent our life studying the Bible. And there's times that many of us feel unqualified for what God asks us to do. And this beginning here, God picked who? He picked the unqualified. God picks you, no matter if you feel qualified or not. God picks you. It doesn't matter how much you know. doesn't matter who you know. doesn't matter if you're friends with Trump, not Trump. doesn't matter who you're friends with or Biden, right? does not matter who you're friends with. It absolutely matters. Actually, there is one friend. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ takes fishermen and makes them sound unfettered with eloquence. Unfettered with eloquence. God wants you to go out and to change your world. And feeling absolutely unqualified. He doesn't pick the most educated. You know why he doesn't pick the most educated? Because the most educated are proud in their education. Education isn't a bad thing. Education, education is for men. It's not for God. Education is for men. You get a nice little certificate. You can hang it on your wall. But it does nothing for God at all. God does not look at your education and says, wow, that's a beautiful degree. The only thing that God looks at is your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that's impressive. Matter of fact, the day that you die, the day that you pass on, Jesus said, listen. He said, even there's, there's going to be many people who think they're saved. And I'm about to say, sorry, depart from me. I never knew you. The most important thing. And I'm not saying don't go out and get an education. If you want an education, that's you. Right? That's you. That doesn't mean that it means anything to God. That is just for you. But what I am saying is you are 100% responsible for the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Whether you feel qualified or unqualified, it does not matter. He is calling you this morning to change your world and make it a better place for him. He's calling you, and, and, and many of us don't like this word, but you know what? You are all preachers and pastors and, and evangelists and teachers of the gospel. You are all meant, we are all meant to go out and to teach and preach and share the good news however, however God gives it to us. Right? I can't reach some of the same people that you can. You can't reach some of the same people that I can. But we are called to be preachers in and feeling unqualified. You know, there's so many people who love to bash Christians today. It's amazing, so amazing to me. Even, even Christians will use the Bible and they'll take the Bible and they'll bash other Christians with using the Bible. Do you think we spend a lot of wasted energy on so many things? Even as Christians and even in the church, there's so much wasted energy spent. So much wasted energy spent. God is saying, listen, you know, if we were to take all the time that we talk about other people, and I'm not talking about us because I know all of us in here, we're beautiful, wonderful, and amazing people. But a lot of Christians in general spend a lot of time talking about a lot of people. A lot of pastors spend time talking about a lot of pe people. They take the Bible and put other people down with the scriptures. Jesus took fishermen and changed the world. And this morning he wants to take you 
And he wants to use you no matter how you think, feel about it. He wants to use you. Everything that you have inside of you, it's more than enough to change your world. No matter what anybody says, don't listen to what people say. Just do what he's put you here to do. As we continue on our theme, we're going to go Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who's just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. The Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And at last the man exclaimed, this is bone, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and then is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You know, the Christian church is meant to lead the way in, in a number of different things. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world and whoever follows me does not walk in the darkness but finds the light that leads to life. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are like a light on a hilltop. You are the light of the world. And to think about that light for a minute, that means it is spreading. That means it is going. That means it is moving. That means it is leading the way. One of the greatest ways that God is asking us to lead today is in our relationships. And I want you to think for a minute, not your parents, because all of us are a little biased and we would say our parents are awesome and wonderful and amazing people. But I want you to think about one couple, one couple, that when you study this couple, when you look at this couple, and again, not family, you say, now they have a marriage that I want to have. And I want you to think about Christians. I don't want to think about non-Christians right now. Who in this Christian world, in your Christian world and bubble, who is it that says, when you watch them, you say, oh, I'm so excited. I absolutely, this is the best. Man, they are amazing. And you just want to be around them because there's so much love and grace and mercy that is, that is just excruciating from these people. That is just so amazing. God in the beginning, he created the very first marriage. He created the very first relationship between a man and a woman. And as believers, God gave them the charge to create godly offspring. Most married people enjoy that part, making godly offspring. But the relationship is the defining moment. This was the highlight of creation, putting a man and a woman together. To what? To lead the way, to be the example and so for us who are married this morning, are we an example to every single marriage on this planet? In your marriage this morning, if you're, if you're a married person, are you leading the way with your marriage? Are you being the brightest light, the greatest example that you can be in your marriage? In the beginning, we see that there was need and there was connection. It says that Adam went through and named all the animals. And as he named all the animals, the very first feeling that Adam had was a need for a helper. The very first thing. And you have to pause and say, listen, God just created, I mean, there was like explosions and fireworks and all kinds of amazing things that were going on. And in one second, Adam, his very first feeling is, hey, I have a need. 
I don't see anyone here who looks like me. The feeling of being alone. God then takes Adam, knocks him out, cuts him open, rips out a rib, and creates Eve. We see the very, very first two emotions that in a relationship that are that drive people together. The feeling for a need and the feeling to be connected. The connection between a man and a woman. Because God didn't create Eve from the dust. Girls are too pretty to come from the dust, right? Men are handsome, right? But it's a reminder where we came from, the dust. But the word and the rib and everything that God did in that moment, it was to speak of need and to speak of connection. Why did God make us that way? Because think about it. Why did God make man to want to have a need, to feel, I don't want to be alone. And even for girls, how, why did he make us that way? Why did he make us with so many different feelings and emotions? And yet in the very, very, very beginning, the first two emotions were, I have a need. And I want to be connected. Matthew 5, 6 is, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or what is right. God created you hungry for a reason. God made you hungry. God created you to have a need for a reason so that you would do something with that hunger. If you want a burrito, what do you do? Most of you, you'll go buy it. If you need a donut, what do you do? You go to Zoe Sunday mornings and you get your free donut. If you are hungry and have a craving for pizza with cheese, Cheesy Joe, if you have that craving for cheesy pizza, what do you do? You're going to go buy yourself a pizza. But yet many Christians, when it comes to spiritual hunger, we've not yet learned how to properly feed ourselves every day. Now think about this. You're just given a million dollars. The only thing that you want to do with your million dollars is you want to build a house. You got some land. You got all the money that you need. You're going to build a house. You're there watching the contractor. And the contractor, he starts throwing the foundation together. And he's putting in some, some bricks and he's putting in some, some wood. And, you know, you can, you can see he just doesn't really care. And you're like, this is my money. This is, this is my house. This is the house that I'm going to pay for. And he's using like uh, putty and all kinds of weird things. And he's cutting the wood in odd shapes. And so the foundation that's supposed to be very important for your brand new house, it doesn't look very good. What would you do? Most of us in this room get pretty angry. Most of us spiritually, you see, in the beginning, we didn't allow God to build the proper foundation, but yet it didn't bother us at all. In the very, very beginning, God outlined principles, things for us to live by. And most of us, we bypassed all that and said, I'm good with what I grew up with. I'm good with the culture that I grew up with. I'm good with my mistakes. And we wanted to keep our own foundation instead of the new foundation that God wanted you to build. When you become born again, the house gets completely demolished and God starts over and he builds again. That's why for many of us, God's asking us to begin again. God's asking you to begin again this morning. God is asking you, and for some of us, you know what he's asking us to do? To forget all the sermons that you've heard in your life. To forget all the things that have happened in the past and just focus on the present moment and saying, God, I need to start over because some of my faith, some of my Christianity, some of what I believe, 
It's faulty. My foundation has some cracks. In the beginning, there was need, and there was a need for not to be alone, to have a helper, and to feel connected, to feel connected to people, which all of us have. That is a driving force. The number one thing that it should drive you to do is hunger for God. And then hunger to be with the right people. So many people today get in the wrong relationships all the time with guys, with girls, friends, friends who aren't meant to be friends, right? Wrong, bad relationships. I'm really excited next week as we jump into another part and in the beginning. And I have to say I am extremely, extremely, extremely excited to talk about next week. I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but I'm just going to let you know I'm super excited. So many of us, we hunger because of that need for connection. We're connecting to all the wrong people. Every single person you connect to who is ungodly, sometimes what happens is their ungodliness attaches to you without realizing it. God says you have to hunger and thirst for right living, righteousness, your need and connection that he put inside you. It's to drive you to him. It's to drive you to be around godly people. It's to drive you to be around the one person that God has put here on this earth just for you. It says that a man should leave his father and mother, and that word leave there means to loosen, to relinquish, and to forsake. You know, my, um, you, you, if you have sons and daughters, you've probably heard that when you have sons and daughters, you know, one day, you know, your sons go away and get married, and, you know, your daughters get married, and all of that horribleness that we don't even want to think about, right? But I've heard many times that you lose your son, but when you have daughters, you don't ever lose your daughters, Right? Because daughters want to be close to their parents. And I'm, we're not going to leave, we're not going to let Michael leave us either. So he's going to be chained. Just kidding. But in the beginning, it says that God created man and woman. And he created the men, them to leave. And that word leave means to, to loosen, to relinquish, and to forsake everything in life. Everything up to that point. How do you be and how do you set the greatest example in your marriage? Make sure that you have left everything 100%. Make sure that you have left 100% your past, good and bad and ugly, everything behind you and you were ready to set in. That's why for many people today and even for Christians, God wants us to begin again. God wants us to have the drive to begin again to set a better example in our marriages for ourselves, for our kids, for the town, for the community. He wants us to begin again. And he outlines in just a few short words what to do. Number one, leave 100% everything for what he puts in front of you. And then he says to be joined together. And that word, I love this word here, join, because it means to cling and it means to catch by pursuit. To follow closely, to follow really closely, like really extremely close after until you are together. Leave father and mother and to be joined. God created this, this marriage relationship to cling to, to catch by pursuit, to follow closely each other after each other. No matter what today is, no matter what tomorrow is, to join, to be joined together, constantly clinging to each other. God wants you to cling to your spouse. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. And I don't care what any devil says, there is nothing, 
nothing that should separate man and woman. There's nothing that should separate husbands and wife, right? Be joined together. And then he says they're united into one. They come together. And when Adam sees his wife, when he sees his new bride, God takes the role of a father. God takes the role of the father. And he didn't go out and have to buy a bride, right? Some, some dads have to do that. Even to this day, there are, there are dads around the world who have to take money and they have to buy a bride for their, for their daughter, right, for their son, right? God didn't have to do that, but he assumes this picture and this symbol here. He is a father who got a bride for his son, for his son, Adam. And as Adam sees her, when he describes, wow, this is woman, she is amazing, the picture that he's describing there is he's celebrating the unity that he now has with his bride, not looking at the differences that they have. So when he's going through and he's saying, this is woman, she is beautiful, I will call her Eve, all these things that he goes through in the, in the hidden language and behind it, basically he's saying, listen, I'm deathly, I am so awesome and so excited to now be united to this woman, not looking at all, and our differences, but just to be together. And that's basically what he says. And then it says the two were naked. And that word naked there means to be full of innocence and to full of trust. Those are two important things in a relationship, to have trust, to have innocence in that relationship, to be uncovered, to be inseparable in a private relationship that doesn't belong to anybody else. The relationship for the marriage is a private relationship that is inseparable, and it is the absolute basic foundation of life. But marriage, as an example, which God is asking us to set, marriage as an example is also a picture of something else. Ephesians 5.31 says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, joined to his wife, the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, for years, people have quoted this verse, and it was, you know, if you go through Ephesians before that, it talks about how the husband should love his wife and take care of her and, and love her unconditionally. And then for many years, they quoted the best part, which says, the woman must submit, right? The woman needs to submit to her man, right? And how many, maybe none of the men in here, right, but previous men who gone before us, they use that verse to tell their wives, you need to submit, you're being a rebellious wife. But I didn't read that this morning. What I read was that the marriage is a beautiful picture and symbol of the relationship with Jesus Christ as well. Marriage is a powerful image of the Israel, the, the covenant that Israel had with God. Marriage is a powerful image of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his own church. In today's culture, 2021, God's asking us to set the tone. Have you ever heard setting the tone? I need to set the tone. You know, it's used in the workplace a lot to have a great attitude and there should be some great emotions and everybody's happy. Everybody's got smiles, you know, from ear to ear and everybody's smiling and we're doing three million surveys just to make sure everyone's happy and there's coffee and there's tea and there's snacks and donuts and, and we really got to bribe people basically to come to work and be happy. Basically. But in, in, when it comes to Christianity, he's asked you to set the tone everywhere you go. Do you think that God wants you to rely on others to set the tone for you? 
but yet how many of us let other people frustrate us? Does God really want you and your emotional and your happiness and your peace and your goodness, your grace and your mercy? Does he want all of those things to rely on if someone else does something that you don't like? So then does God give you the green light and thumbs up? Okay, now it's time to be pissed off. This person wronged you. Now it's time to be pissed off. Is that really what God does? Absolutely not. God is, fills us with the fruit of the Spirit, and he does not want anything to take the fruit that he wants to place inside of you. You should not let anyone or anything dictate who you are, but you must set the tone every single day. Everything that you do, set the tone the feelings and the emotions in the house, in the workplace, everywhere you go. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. So I'm going to set the tone. Everywhere that I go, the people that I work with, they know that I don't cuss and I don't talk about girls. But I can tell you there's a lot of Christian men. They do those two things as soon as they get out of the building. They get into another conversation with men and these guys immediately start talking about women and they start talking about they're cussing and this, that and the other. They're not setting the tone. And for girls, again, I'm not a girl, so I don't know what you girls talk about when we're not around. I'm sure you're talking about guys somewhere, right? So the question is, are you setting the tone with the language and with your attitude, the one that he wants you to have? And I'm not perfect, but I will tell you, if you talk to the people who know me and where I work every single day, they know that I don't do those two things. I'm not going to talk about girls. I'm not going to cuss. If you want to talk to me about a conversation, it's going to be about the things that I, that I want to talk about. Because I've learned to set the tone. I've learned to have a very guarded life. I'm going to set the tone where I go. Do you do that in your life? Do you do that everywhere you go and everything that you do? You as a believer should set the tone. Set the example. And the number one thing that God's asking us to today in establishing this quality and this feeling in the moment is in relationships. Turn your neighbor and say relationships. Relationships. How do you set the tone in relationships? How do we set the tone? Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, be an imitator of God, copy him, follow his example, as well-beloved children imitating their father. Walk in love, esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. A slain offering sacrificed to God for you so that it can become a sweet fragrance. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared in his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, the Messiah. He lives in me and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith by the adherence to and reliance on and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Last one, John 13, 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, your master, have washed your feet, you ought to. It is your duty. You are under obligation. You owe it to wash another's feet. I've given you this as an example so that you should do in your turn what I have done to you you. This morning my title is called Calling Card. And I don't know if you 
most of us in this room probably don't even know what a calling card is. But in the old days, there was a thing called a calling card. And this was kind of like before cell phones and before people who could afford cell phones, right? They would be giving calling cards. And calling cards were used to make phone calls, and it was billed to that card. Kind of like a credit card, right? But you would use this card, and you could make phone calls as long as there was money on there or somebody to get a monthly bill. Someone would pay. Someone would pay for every call that you make. Someone would pay for that. It was a calling card. And today in 2021, God is asking you, God is asking you in your relationships to be the greatest example because he has paid for everything already. He's paid ahead. He's paid in advance for everything that you need today Everything that you need tomorrow, like a calling card, he has paid it forward. Every single thing that you need to have a great relationship, it's right here. And some of us, we have to get off our phones. And some of us, we have to stop talking to certain friends. And some of us, we have to open up the Bible and learn the tone that was set from the beginning. We have to learn the tone, the very, very beginning, the tone that God set for us in our relationship. Because when you walk out of here, God is expecting and God is asking in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships, he's paid it all in advance, that you do every single thing that you can to be the example. The world is desperate for love today. The world is desperate for what is real today. The world is desperate for truth and honesty. It's not found on the internet. It's not found in the computer. It's not found in dating sites. It's not found in Google and Google telling you how to be a better woman or man and how to have a better relationship. It is found in God alone. He needs you to set the tone. If you're married, set the tone in your marriage. He needs you to set the tone as your marriage, to be an example for every single person that you come into contact to. What did he, in those three verses that I just listed, this is what he said. This is what Apostle Paul outlined. He said, listen, we have to copy Jesus and his example. We must walk in love. We must esteem and delight in one another. We must offer ourselves as a slain offering and sacrifice to God. These aren't wonderful pictures. This isn't some happy-go-lucky picture that Paul outlined for ourselves. A slain offering and a sacrifice to God, that's what he's asking you to do in your relationships. To give yourself, number one, to him and to the people that you're with. And he says you're under obligation to own it, to wash one another's feet. There's nothing like being a servant. And do you outserve people or do people serve you? You know, as parents, if, you, if you're a parent this morning, you know what it means to be a servant because most of us, we constantly are helping our kids. We're constantly doing things for our kids. We're constantly getting food and breakfast and lunch and snacks and everything in between. And for some of us, almost feeling like a slave to kids because they constantly are calling and, and screaming and making this and making that. And as parents, we have to, right? It's what we signed up for. But my question is to you, not as a parent, but as a person, do you outserve the person that you're married to? Do you outserve them? 
Do you outgive yourself to them? Do you give more than they give to you? Do you imitate Jesus in your relationship? Because again, he's asking you to be an example in the marriage. In the very, 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 very beginning, what's one of the things God did? He created marriage. Is marriage important to God? You better believe it. Do we take it serious enough? At some times, right? But do you take it to the next level where I have to set the example in my marriage? I need to be the example. I need to outserve. I need to outgive. And the picture is to be crucified, just as Christ Jesus was. Paul says, In him I've shared his crucifixion. It's I who no longer live. Ouch. It's I who no I don't live anymore. It's Jesus who lives in me. How do you set the tone? You die. How do you set the tone and be the Christian that God needs you to be today? You die. How do you have the best marriage today? You die. I who no longer live, it's Christ who lives in me. Let Jesus well up inside of you and take over. Let him take over inside of you and let him lead the way everywhere that you go. He says, the Messiah who lives in me, the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith, adherence to and reliance and complete trust in him. In sharp contrast, this is Timothy Keller, with our culture, the Bible teaches that the essence of marriage is a sacrifice commitment to the good of the other. That means that love is more fundamentally action than emotion. Marriage is important. Love is important. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is absolutely important. And as you leave today, God's asking you to set that example. If you're not married, set that example in the way that you walk, talk, and live your life. Be the example that he needs you to be. For us who are married, he's asking us today to, to set the tone in what a godly marriage looks like in 2021. And it's not in how... We want it, and it's not in our feelings and our emotions, like Timothy Keller says. It's in our sacrifice, and it's our commitment, and it's our service, and it's how I give me. Not how, not how anyone else gives to me. It's how I give me. How do I give me? Stand with me. We're going to close and pray. God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for a beautiful Sunday morning. God, we thank you for the story of the beginning. God, we thank you that in the beginning you created love. God, in the beginning you created marriage. There was, there was two emotions, the, the feeling to be needed and have needs and connection. God, and we thank you that you created us with those needs and emotions. God, I pray that this morning that all of us in here, we would use those emotions, number one, to need you, to hunger for you, and to be connected to you. Because if we're not connecting to you, we're no good to know anybody else. God, help us, the drive that we have inside, all of the different feelings and emotions that we have this morning, every single different thing that we are thinking and feeling, not about anybody else, but everything that is happening inside of us, God, understanding that the, the need and connection, number one, God, we have to rely and be dependent on you because, again, if we're not, we're no good to anybody else.
God, we pray that we would this morning, for us who are married, we would set the example for all other people. God, that we as Christian couples, as Christian couples, as men and women, Christian couples, that we would set the examples in our homes and everywhere that we go to be, to show this picture and this great symbol, God, of the relationship that you have with us. God, help us to set the tone. God, help us to step up in 2021 and to be the greatest example of love that we can be in our marriage and our relationships. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.